1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: It's Wednesday, July 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Tragedy in Highland Park, Illinois, as yet another mass shooting took the lives of seven people and injured more than 30 others. Officials say that 21-year-old Bobby Cremo opened fire on people gathered for a 4th of July parade perched from the roof of a building. More than 70 rounds were fired with a rifle that was purchased legally. Police say he planned the attack for weeks and dressed as a woman to disguise himself so he could blend in with the crowd to escape. Ben Collins, senior reporter at NBC News, joins us for What to Know and the trail of violent imagery he posted online. Next, the Federal Reserve is trying to bring down inflation with interest rate increases despite the risk of a possible recession. However, the thing that the Fed is worried about more is a psychological shift in consumers that could sustain high inflation. If consumers suspect prices will remain high in the future, it changes the way they behave today. The toughest calls for the Fed still lie ahead once the economy contracts and unemployment rises. Nick Timmerose, chief economics correspondent at the Wall Street Journal and author of Trillion Dollar Triage, joins us for how inflation psychology is stoking more anxiety. It's News Without the Noise. Let's dive in.
3: Today, the Lake County State's Attorney's Office has charged Robert Cremo III with seven counts of first-degree murder for the killing spree that he has unleashed against our community. These are just the first of many charges that will be filed against Mr. Cremo. I want to emphasize that. There will be more charges.
2: Joining us now is Ben Collins, senior reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ben.
3: Thanks for having
2: me. Well, let's talk about what happened in Highland Park, This shooting that happened on the 4th of July. We're now hearing that the death toll went up, so seven people have now been killed, wounded, at least 38 more people. This is all done right now by the uh, main suspect. His name is Robert Bobby Cremo III. And, um, you know, what we're starting to hear is more details of what happened. We're hearing that the shooter planned this for weeks, that he dressed as a woman to maybe hide his identity so he can get away easier. So, uh, Ben, tell us a little bit more about what we're hearing lately, and then we're going to delve a little bit more into some of the online activity and things that some of those violent imagery that Cremo was a part of.
3: Yeah, he apparently planned this for a few weeks, according to officials at a press conference on Tuesday. They said that he dressed in women's clothing to hide his face and neck tattoos. He had a lot of face and neck tattoos. In order to get up to the rooftop, then he left. The rooftop went to his mom's car where he had another weapon. He had left the initial long gun. At the scene of the crime, the ATF was able to trace that gun, which is in part how they found him. And uh, he was eventually captured outside of his mom's vehicle. So that's how they caught this, they believe, suspected killer.
2: You know, going to a little bit more on how he planned this for some time, you know, uh, there was, I guess, a post that he made about the parade route. You know, when he got onto this, uh, the rooftop, you know, he scaled a fire escape ladder that was there and he fired more than 70 rounds when he he was up there. I mean, they said that the shootings or at least the victims seemed random, but a lot of planning to at least know how to get up there. And as we mentioned, the disguise, you know, he uh, very thought out on what he was going to do to try to get away at least. Yeah, this was
3: a person who was obsessed with mass murder. You could tell through his online profiles that this is what he was mostly focused on on the Internet. And he was—he made a music video, by the way. He was a rapper. He went by Awake on places like Spotify and YouTube. He was not as small time as these other previous shooters were. You know, in these music videos, he simulated a school shooting. He simulated, in fact, in a cartoon, in one of them, uh, getting a shootout and dying at the the, hands of the police. So he has thought about this a lot. And in other YouTube videos he did, he took a picture or a video in one of the YouTube videos of that main drag in Highland Park where that parade was set to go through. Um, This was weeks beforehand or months beforehand on his YouTube video. So he had been planning this for a very long time and he had been focused on mass murder on the internet for even longer.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thing when we always talk about these shooters. You know, a lot of time, you know, if they if they do leave a manifesto or something to that effect, right, it's uh, on a server or it's on uh, some type of platform where there might not be that many observers, not, not that many subscribers to whatever they're doing. But you're right, in this case, you know, he, through his music, he had it on Spotify, he had stuff on YouTube, all, uh, he had a Discord server. There was a, quite a number of people who were taking in the stuff that he was putting out there. Now, he wasn't necessarily throwing out plans or cryptic messages like you know i'm gonna be shooting something up but there were a lot of people that were observing his content
3: yeah he had dozens of either fans or people who followed his work in that discord server which for most people it's like a message board where people can go and interact with and, and talk about an artist and you know in one of those music videos he does he drops bullets in a simulated classroom out of his hand you can see him reaching into a bag and then afterwards feigning as if he had just shot up school. That was something that was viewed almost 50,000 times, posted in January. This was not a big secret in those spaces, but he never made explicit threats. He never said explicitly that he was going to do something like this. He was just playing into this aesthetic of mass murder, which has uh, propped up on the Internet in extremism spaces over the last few years.
2: There's always questions about the guns that were used. Obviously, the police have said it was a high-powered rifle. They have said that all the guns that he had were bought legally there in the local area. So not we don't know if it was in the town of Highland Park specifically, but generally in the area, that's where he bought the guns. People always try to ask questions about political leanings, things like that. As far as what we know on his uh, online trail, we don't see too much. There was a couple of references uh, where he was wearing a Trump flag or he was at a Trump rally. But other than that, not too much, right?
3: Yeah, there's not a lot there. So he he what did visit, it appears, a Trump motorcade sometime uh, around 2021, early 2021, late 2022. He took a video of himself at that Trump motorcade. There was a picture of him draped in a Trump flag. There was another few pictures of him at another right-wing rally with the Trump flag as well. And then he railed against communists a little bit in a separate discord as well. But the largest motivation, this was in the vast amount of just pure content this guy pushed out. It was infinitesimal compared to his mass murder fetishism, which he had consistently pushed out to his followers. This idea that there was something like, I don't know, benevolent or something about mass murder was a Very scary stuff that seemed more in line with an actual ideology. The guy really wanted to be viewed as a mass murderer. He left a manifesto that was just numbers, sort of like the Zodiac killer mice. This guy had been planning to become a mass murderer for a very long time. The politics stuff seems secondary or supplementary compared
2: to it. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, fascination with numbers. I guess uh, the number forty seven seems to figure a lot in a lot of the stuff that he had. He had a tattoo on uh, you know, the side of his face with the number forty seven too. So I mean we have yet to see what that really means, but there's obviously a lot more investigation by police and officials. There's there's so much more we're gonna learn about this. You know, the latest some of the latest we heard is that we don't know how cooperative he's being, but at least he's starting to answer questions. He might have admitted some fault in all of this already. So we'll see how all of that develops. But a little bit more on some of these online groups, you know, we did a, an interview on the podcast not too long ago with Juliette Kayyem. She's a former assistant secretary of Homeland Security, talking about how even a lone wolf shooter, and that's the indication we have here, always has like an online pack. There's always people online that support these things and drum things up. And you were talking about how, you know, on these Discord channels and on 4chan right away, there was a bunch of trolls that were kind of elevating this stuff, using it to make memes. And this is kind of how that machine keeps rolling.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And if it's a bunch of lone wolves, at some point it becomes a pack of wolves, you would say. That's basically exactly what's going on here. They all sort of reference each other. They reference previous shootings. For example, they call Dylan Roof the Charleston shooter. They call him Saint Roof in some of these forums. They talk about the amount of kills as if it's a statistic that you have to surpass. They try to get added to these lists of people they believe to be iconic mass shooters. This is a cult of death. This guy has been pushed this ideology that he might get some sort of symbolism around his name, that he might get some sort of lionization, either in death or in jail, if he is able to successfully kill a bunch of people in a mass shooting. And that's what happens in these spaces. These people have very little or no real life friends or community. But online in these spaces that lionize murder... They believe that they can be made into heroes in those spaces.
2: And that's the hardest thing to track, right? I mean, they don't have many friends in real life, but they have these packs here. But they're often just completely detached from reality on this stuff. And, you know, that's why they push a lot of, you know, here destabilization, things like that a lot, right? They push these memes and the jokes so far to the point of they don't really know what's real anymore. And that's why it makes it so... I mean, I don't want to say easy, but it makes it so easy for them to then to go out and plan something and then commit these mass murders. It's, it, I mean, it's fascinating to a point to see how these online subcultures really develop. And what do we hear from people that have uh, maybe known... Cremo in the past. We, you know, Highland Park is not such a huge place. The mayor there, Nancy Rottering, knew him from when he was in Cub Scouts. She was one of the Cub Scouts leaders. There's a, a neighbor who said that, you know, they kind of kept to themselves, but his father once described him as having emotional issues at school.
3: They talked to his uncle as well. Like A, a couple of local reporters talked to his uncle who said there was no signs of this, which I have a very hard time believing, considering he you know, made a school shooting music video with the help of other people. Look, it is an isolated part of this person's life that exists on the internet, largely. And again, this person was 21 to 22 years old when all of this stuff started to take off in his life. He was out of school. He did not have a traditional job, apparently worked at Panera Bread briefly. And the isolation was likely profound in that situation. So the people who would check on him on a daily basis, the people who would see him at school and be able to red flag that sort of thing, were not around to do it. And then the other thing is the law enforcement capabilities of this are very difficult. If you're in the Proud Boys or Patriot Front or any of these more formalized militias, the feds are keeping an eye on you. The feds may be in your chats, they might be going to your events, that sort of thing. But if you are living alone and you're making you know, videos that aren't actual threats, but are talking about school shootings, it's very hard for the feds to keep tabs on that. And sometimes they do check in on these people in real life. They checked in on a Buffalo shooter. They checked in on shooters back as far back as 2018, 2019 of school shootings. And they just say that they're trolling and they just keep going about their day. So it is a very difficult law enforcement challenge and a very different, difficult community challenge when these people are just locked inside.
2: Well, we hope to hear more about this and learn more about possibly why all this happened. Happened, You know, our thoughts are obviously with all the victims and, and the survivors and all of this, you know, just another tragedy that uh, happens in this country. Ben Collins, senior reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Follow the global story from the BBC, wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: At the Fed, we understand the hardship that high inflation is causing. We are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down and we're moving expeditiously to do so.
2: Joining us now is Nick Timoros, chief economics correspondent at The Wall Street Journal and author of Trillion Dollar Triage, Thanks for joining us, Nick. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to talk about inflation and what's going on right now with the Federal Reserve. They have a really difficult balancing act on how to approach all of this stuff. As we've seen, we've seen them raise interest rates. This is all, uh, as I mentioned, to balance things. But there's a lot of psychology that plays into what's going on, specifically with the consumers. A lot of this stuff is kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. As we're expecting higher prices, we adjust our behaviors. And it really just kind of makes prices stay higher even longer. And the Fed, obviously, is trying to balance all of this stuff. So, Nick, tell us a little bit more about it and and the whole psychology game that's being played here.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the challenge for the Fed here is that the economy has been hit by a series of shocks. And a monetary policy or central banking 101 textbook would say when you get hit with a shock, if you think it's going to have an endpoint at some point, relatively soon then you don't have to react to that and so last year when the economy was was reopening and we had a big increase in inflation that's exactly what the fed concluded they said well this seems likely to be temporary and so we don't need to react to it and then it turned out later in the year that inflation was staying higher for longer than they had anticipated so they began to raise interest rates and the concern here is that now you've had several more shocks you've had energy prices skyrocket because of the war in ukraine and even though each of these things might resolve on its own. The Fed is very worried that inflation will stay high if consumers and businesses expect prices to stay high. These are called inflation expectations. They're something that the Fed watches very carefully because their models suggest that if people expect prices to be higher in the future, then prices actually will be higher in the future. And so the issue here is they want to prevent This sort of self sustaining or self fulfilling psychology from taking root. Because that's what happened in the 1970s when we had high inflation and it required a very wrenching series of recessions in the early 1980s to actually break the back of high inflation.
2: One of the experts you spoke to from the Hoover Institution put it pretty great, an easy way to understand. Let's say you're a landlord and you knew prices were going to be going up. So what you're going to do is adjust and you're going to demand higher rent right now. And that's the whole thing. We're raising prices on our own even, even, uh, you know, uh, just on that expectation. So whatever we think is going to happen in the future is determining how we behave right now. And that's the whole thing. That's this psychology that they're trying to battle. And, you know, the Fed has already said, hey, well, we know that there's a big possibility of a recession and they're kind of accepting some of that responsibility if it does happen. But that's the other side of things, right? A lot of people can lose their jobs you know, a lot of stuff's going to happen. So it really seems like we've already adjusted to that point. You know, is it too late by now?
0: Well, hopefully it's not too late. I guess we're going to find out. But you're right. I mean, the Fed is raising interest rates at quite large intervals, a half point increase in May, a three quarters of a percentage point increase in June. They're raising rates at the most uh, rapid pace since the 1980s. And part of that's because we went into this with interest rates at very low levels. And part of that is because they want to make sure that they get this early if there is an inflation problem. And so when you raise rates really rapidly like this, you know, it takes time for that to influence the economy. You're not going to see it right away. And there's a risk that you're going to overdo it. It's a little bit like driving forward, but using the rear view mirror to tell you whether you've gone too far. If you drive with the rear view mirror, you're going to hit something before you, you see it. And so they're willing to run that risk. They're willing to run the risk of creating a recession here because they see the other risks of a period of entrenched high prices as something even more unacceptable to them, something that would be even more painful for the economy than a recession, which of course can be very painful.
2: And you made mention in the article, too, right? Some of the toughest calls that Jerome Powell is going to have to make in all of this still really comes ahead in the future once the economy does start contracting, once unemployment rises. And we're seeing some of those effects already, right? You know, Companies announcing hiring freezes. They're laying some people off already. So really, a lot of the tougher calls still haven't even happened yet.
0: Yeah, that's right. This is the low-hanging fruit. It's easy to raise interest rates and sound very aggressive about doing so when the economy is very strong the way it was last year and maybe earlier this year. But once the economy is clearly slowing down, the problem the Fed and Jay Powell, they're gonna face is this. In the 1970s, the Fed actually raised interest rates a lot. There was a big recession after the 1973 oil shock, the recession of 1974, 75, and the Fed cut interest rates in 1975 but inflation, even though it came down from around ten percent to six percent, it was still high at six percent. And so one of the conclusions that a lot of economists have taken from that is that the Fed didn't actually get inflation out of the economy because they eased too soon as the economy went into a recession. So that's going to be there're going to be people who once the economy slows, saying, "Fed, don't back off because you really want to make sure." You know, you slay the inflation dragon here and you might have to stay tighter with higher interest rates than the Fed would have, you know, a few years ago when inflation wasn't a problem and the, and the economy was slowing. And so that's going to be really difficult because we haven't lived through this kind of environment in more than 40 years.
2: And as a consumer, what are we to do? How do we break this psychological impact, right? We've been already told uh, high inflation prices are going to persist probably throughout the rest of the year. Hopefully, they can ease after that. But what is a consumer to do in the meantime?
0: Well, you know, a lot of this does depend on what consumers do with their economic decisions. One possibility here is that spending slows down because inflation is taking a bigger bite out of our incomes. And so people aren't going to be able to spend as much. But it's also possible that there's been a big buffer that households have accrued from saving money during the pandemic when people maybe weren't spending as much and from, you know, wage growth that's been fairly strong over the last year. And so if that buffer allows consumers to continue spending in the face of still high prices, then that means the Fed might actually have to raise interest rates even more to slow down demand and to bring inflation down. The other question is what happens to the supply of goods and services? You know, the Fed can control demand. They can reduce demand, but they can't really address inflation by improving the supply of gas, the supply of housing. And so if prices are rising because of those supply bottlenecks and those supply bottlenecks don't resolve, then that just means the Fed has to destroy even more demand. And that'll be painful. That, that will be a recession.
2: Nick. Tim Rose, Chief Economics Correspondent at The Wall Street Journal and author of Trillion Dollar Triage. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was Your Daily Dive.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.